Welcome to the Man Up, Man Down podcast, presented by Volker Baluda and David Pawsey. We discuss the pressures and challenges faced by men approaching middle age that we're often too embarrassed to speak about with our friends. You can find us online at www.manupdown.com. Enjoy the show and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. So welcome to another episode of Man Up, Man Down. Once again, it's another first for Man Up, Man Down because we have our first returning guest. Well, I was going to say my friend Andy Delderfield, but Volker's uh, obviously met Andy, I think, since we recorded that episode. So we're all friends. But, I mean, Andy came on to speak about his amazing community, alcohol-free runners. Sadly, at the time, he'd also been diagnosed with prostate cancer, which was, you know, a very new so you know we appreciated his honesty he's been doing a fantastic job of building his alcohol free runners community he's been battling prostate cancer he's gone through the treatment I, I i take my hat off to you andy but most amazingly he's just completed a uh, multi-day ultra marathon event in the desert so thanks so much for coming back andy Welcome back from me as well, and congratulations on the latest achievement, which we're going to talk about, right? A bit bit of running in the sun, right? Just a little bit. <laughs> no, well, thank you for having me back. I didn't realize I was the first person to, to have a second appearance here, so that's uh, uh, nice to hear. Yeah, as in it's been a, an eventful uh, yeah, year, really. I, I, yeah, when, when I spoke to you, I think it was back in February this year, so now eight, nine months on, a lot has happened in that time. So really, yeah, I was supposed to start with the prostate cancer there, really. As in, I think when I spoke to you, it was only within maybe a week or so that I'd just been told that I had prostate cancer. So I was in the very early stages of that. And I think that initial kind of situation was there was just an awful lot of fear, uncertainty, confusion, anger, lots and lots of different emotions that kind of came through when I got that diagnosis. But I suppose what I was able to, to do as a positive psychology coach, I suppose, and using the skills that I'd learned in my training was to try and reframe what, what I was going through. And I feel quite fortunate I've been able to do that. It, it, it certainly has been a challenge. But what I really started to do uh, pretty immediately, really, was, and I'm going to say this probably multiple times here, guys, today, is that my mantra from the point of that diagnosis was, was to start to control the controllables. I couldn't control what was going on in my body. I couldn't do do anything about that and stop stop that from happening. I'd already made some massive decisions in my life with giving up alcohol, uh, going plant-based. And that was kind of the reason that the next thing of what I could control at that point was my health. And I know this is really scary for so many people to kind of be proactive about that and, and go to your doctors, get checked out, because there, there is an awful lot of fear around that, and especially for us guys. I think I've reflected on this a little bit in the fact that why is there a difference between men and women when it comes to kind of our health a little bit? And I think what I've realized is that the ladies in our life go through a lot more medical bits and pieces, whether they have kids, whether there's kind of more known about regular checkups um, for, 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 for cancer screening and bits like that, that they go through maybe from a bit of a younger age where we don't get that. We don't, we don't have that to deal with. So I think what then happens as a result of that, as our, as our lives continue, our anxiety kind of grows around the fear of going to the doctor. But I made that decision. I kind of just felt that I wanted to go and get checked out. And really, it was to 
you know, to, to feed my ego a bit in a way because I'd given up alcohol. I'd gone plant-based. I just wanted to be told that I was in amazing form and amazing shape. And and to be fair, that was the general diagnosis that, that I was pretty damn good. I was I was yeah yeah good weight, healthy, heart good, all of the all the things, all my levels kind of calcium to cholesterol and all those things were all spot on. But as a result of it, I found out that I had an enlarged prostate. So I'd gone through that process before we chatted in February that I'd got an MRI scan, um, a biopsy, and then found out that, that yeah I had. Uh, cancer of the prostate but and obviously when you hear that all you hear is cancer you don't hear anything else do you at that stage i suppose mentally i'd never really prepared myself for that for that diagnosis but i was able to i say look at what i could control which was looking into my options looking into to, to what, what what the process was to to get better i suppose and um and that really came down to two options which was to have the prostate removed which i think generally on a medical level if you've got cancer in an organ that is isolated to that organ that can be removed, then that's what they want to do. But the side effects of that were pretty major. I had things I wanted to do this year. And if I had my prostate removed, a lot of those things were going to have to be put to the sideline and not happen. Um, and with research, I found out there were other options and radiotherapy was one of those with a very similar success rate. So I went down that route and uh, in August, three and a half weeks, well, basically radiotherapy through my skin so so that's basically a beam being shot through my, my kind of stomach area into the prostate to initially yeah weaken it i suppose and then that was followed a few weeks later that i had a process called brachytherapy which is where they actually put a radioactive seed into the prostate leave it in there for about 20 minutes it's really high dosage it blasts the the, the cancerous cells with the hope that it kills it gets rid of it and then it's done so uh in addition to that, I also had a. I was on hormone therapy for six months, which reduced or took away all my testosterone in my body. So currently, still, I've got no testosterone, which makes a very emotional ending. <laughs> um, yeah, as I said, I can empathise with uh, my wife, who's kind of premenopausal, because um, my hormone levels just dropped, so that caused emotions. Um, the other risks of it were muscle wastage and weight gain, uh, which clearly with what I do with my running was a bit of a concern but yeah so I got, got through that um, and that all finished at the beginning of October so only yeah less than two months ago now so yeah I mean you sort of mentioned about how as you say like with women there is sort of you know for, for want of a better word various touch points mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, that is to do with the fact that, you know, they have a menstrual cycle, but obviously cervical smears. As you say, you know, when they're pregnant, a lot more sort of checkups. I don't know how I was driving back from uh, under 12 football training and I had, I had three of the boys I was dropping off. Well, including my son. I didn't drop him off. And I don't know how, but we got into the subject of, of prostates. And, and, and it, you know, it wasn't my, oh, I'm interviewing Andy tomorrow about his prostate. <laughs> but um, they were like, oh, what's that? And, you know, but I was just trying to sort of explain that when you get to, like, our age, you know, and, and I was like, I mean, I think, you know, sort of part of the thing I was like, oh, you know, and basically they, they put a finger up your bottom to, uh, you know, I was just going for a cheap laugh from the kids. But now we're sort of having this conversation. I'm like, I definitely wouldn't have had that conversation <laughs> at 11 years old 
you know, it's like, well, how much would they learn about that at that age? And I've forgotten the second point that I was going to pick up on. Oh, I know what it was. It was the, um, you sort of said about the controllables and, and the information. And I know that, you know, from our discussions, you said that, you know, that was quite overwhelming yeah. sort of looking through the material and, and then you, you know, and no disrespect to Andy Barham, um, but you made the mistake of listening to that episode, um, and you said I'd stop listening to it because yeah. obviously, you know, it was kind of looking at, you know, one of those parts. So yeah, I mean, you know, obviously want to get onto the ultra stuff, yeah. But I mean, you know, can you sort of talk us through, you know, how how did you get your head around the various yeah. options? And, you know, you're sort of getting lots of medical jargon yeah. thrown at you. A lot of it is statistics and percentages. You know, it's, a, yeah, a lot to take in. I think the most difficult part of it, which I didn't really anticipate at all, is that there would be a conflict in medical opinion as to, to what the best option was to proceed. You've basically got urologists that that, that, that deal with, with yeah, your urethra area as a man. Yeah, that, that, that's their specialty, specialty area. So it's wean, bladder, prostate, um, sexual functionality is all kind of covered within that category. And there, that field there is very much remove your prostate, as in that that was their opinion. Um, and then you've got the oncologists, which then deal with the radiotherapy side. And their view is very much there is a, a, a an equal solution to, to to this problem, which is to to look at the the, the radiotherapy and the bracket therapy, especially um, because it's low invasive, low impacting, um, and the potential knock on effects are less than what you could have if you have your prostate removed. As I was forty seven, I was healthy. There was nothing wrong with me. Yeah, I, I, I had no symptoms to tell me I had prostate cancer. I find out because of a blood test. So. When you're kind of told that, yeah, you need to have your prostate removed and the knock-on effect of that was going to then mean I wasn't healthy for a period of time. I was going to lose my ability to run, my ability to do all the things. I was going to have to wear a colostomy bag for two months because part of that process is cutting through your urethra, sewing it back together so you can't wee for, for, for a period of time. Also, the side effects of having it removed were incontinence and a high percentage of people get incontinence. Sadly, that the... The statistics are really difficult because most people that get this don't get it in their late 40s. They get it in their early 70s. So clearly incontinence is something as men we're going to have to deal with as we get older anyway, potentially. So the stats were also skewed by this age factor and that I wasn't the norm. So it was very difficult to get a clear understanding of yeah, what the potential was. But the other side was erectile dis- dysfunctionality. If they weren't able to cut the prostate egg cleanly, they could affect the nerves around that and that could be an effect. Um, but I have to say, I think it was more to do with the incontinence and the fact of having to go through a major operation where they had to cut through my stomach muscles to, to, to actually remove the prostate. And that was just a bit of a, oh, I don't really want to go through that. And is there any other options? So once I found there were was other options, then it was this kind of conflict of the medical opinion. Who, who did you... Who did you believe or who did you kind of side with, I suppose? And a lot of people would turn around and go, well, I've got cancer. I want to remove it because that's peace of mind. I know it's gone. I know it's got got rid of and then it's done. And I do understand that, that kind of approach. But at the same time, when I did the research, the figures actually for survival, and it's very difficult because they all talk about it. It's always about the five-year 
five years after having it removed or five years having radiotherapy and brachytherapy, 90% of people survive if it's caught early enough and all those things, as in if it's, yeah, they're done, they're done, it's cleanly done. So both gave me the same outcome. What the long-term outcome, obviously, is I don't really know, and that's the problem, is I don't know what the 10-year, 15, 20-year is because that information doesn't seem to be available. So that was quite difficult. But equally, if I had the prostate removed, there was there's also a chance it could come back. So so just because of removing, that didn't guarantee. There was still this 3% chance. But I think, really, it just came back down to us. And at the end of the day, there wasn't a wrong decision to be made. It was very personal to me. Um, and once I'd made that decision, I, I went through a huge period of anxiety, mental health problems, I suppose, as a result of having to make that decision. But once I made it, I, I, I stuck with it and I haven't really looked back really because I've made the decision now, so it's the right decision for me and whatever happens, it will always be the right decision because that's what I chose. And I think if you sit there and worry about, or oh, have I done the right thing, wrong thing, all of those things, that can really affect you ongoing. And I just don't think that's, that's not a good use of my time, is it? The good use of my time is I am in that 90% and I am going to survive this and I will just get through it. And I think... I think I showed that mental state by at the point that I decided what I was going to do. I then planned my next six months around the treatment and made the choice to enter the Amsterdam Marathon, which was mid-October. And then I decided to, to run across the Nenebian Desert, just just gone uh, in November. So I just, just, just completed that in the last, less than a week ago. Yeah, I was doing it this time last week, wasn't I? Yeah, so... Next week, yeah. Let's let's before before we do that segue. I mean, how how do you mentally cope with, you know, just going? I mean, preparing for a marathon or a desert run, right? Yeah. As, as I, you know, casually call it a, a walk in the sun, right? It's like, you know, th these these are big events, right? You have to plan for them. How how can you plan for them knowing if I say you've got cancer, your body is on a defense mechanism, right? Yeah. It's not like you can go. Or, or, or correct me, please, right? But it's not like you you can go and say. Oh yeah, tomorrow I can train and go for a 20k run or a 40k run, right? Or you know, as, as we said before, we went live, right? Like David Goggins, right? Yeah. I'm going to put uh, five layers on and, and and run through, I don't know, run on the treadmill just to get used to the heat. I suppose you can't do that, and you can't plan that schedule based on on on, on the prostate. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Well, yeah, well, I, I, <laughs> the conversation I had with my oncologist was was I. Yeah, once I made the decision of what, what what course of treatment I wanted to go on, and then we talked about dates, and and, and we got the controllables was planning, so saying when can we do it, what's it going to look like, and all those things, and getting that information. And I explained to her that what I wanted to do, and and, and could I do it? Was it possible to do it? I don't know whether she ever gauged exactly <laughs> what I was really going to do. But her answer very much, and I think was probably a standard answer to most people in this situation, is you just continue your life as normal. Yeah, just continue it as normal. And, <laughs> and the moving and moving your body is the number one thing you can do to A, fuck, fuck the situation of the, the hormone therapy. So the side effects of the hormone therapy by moving regularly would help with that. And I chose the treatment because... Of the impact it had on me, as in, yeah, I radiotherapy again. I think we kind of look at that, and go, oh my god, it's awful, uh, a really horrendous treatment to go through. But the actual reality was with it was that the technology has advanced so much in this area in recent years 
that they are able to target such a small area now with the radiotherapy that the knock-on effects were minimal. And I was able to have my, I've got a coach, someone called Claire McCaskill that I work with. And we basically sat down and was like, let's just plan it as if this isn't happening. Let's just have the plan as if the treatment isn't happening. Clearly, we've got to work out that, yes, I need to get to a peak in my training before I had the radiotherapy in case I couldn't do anything. So there was a build-up through July and August where I really pushed hard before I started the treatment. Then I had the three and a half weeks of radiotherapy, and we had the schedules during that. And it was a, a case of if I can do it, if, if I could do it, then amazing. And if I couldn't, we had to readjust. Amazingly, I smashed it. I kept on going. I would, I was having radiotherapy at late at night often, um, and I'd run beforehand. I would get up the next morning after having radiotherapy in the evening and run in the morning. I just kept on going as if nothing was really changing, and, and I was tired because mainly because I had to travel. 40, 50 minutes down the road every day for three and a half weeks. But it, I just kept on going and just didn't allow it to... And I think that really helped me as massively. As in, it just meant that those little wins, yeah? Forget, I always say, we're going out for a run. Get out for a run first thing in the morning. You set yourself up with a win. And that was just that positive mindset that I was able to keep on going. It wasn't until the last, I suppose, week of the radiotherapy that I started getting some side effects. But that was mainly just annoying that I was going out for a run and have to pee every kilometre because the pressure of it's changed. And so that, that just pissed me off more than anything. It wasn't that it was painful or Literally. anything. It was just exactly. And then, <laughs> and often I would then, yeah, feel the need to pee, but then couldn't wee. So there wasn't anything really to come out. So it's just that, that kind of feeling. But no, if it didn't affect, I say it didn't affect my bowels. It did a little bit, yeah, on runs. <laughs> but we don't need to go into detail there, do we? <laughs> <laughs> I just had to know tune in for. I just had to double the amount of toilet paper I took with me on a run. So yeah, there were there was a few impacts, but it was just I just got on with it really. And then when the radiotherapy finished, there was another period where we built up again. So so I then went again and then trained hard up until the beginning of October. And then had the procedure at yeah, on the second of October and ran the Amsterdam Marathon ten days later. And wow. had very little expectations about the Amsterdam Marathon. I was I'd been training a group of 10 people uh, for a 12-week period running up to that point. So I now run group training with through the RR Call Free Runners group. We do group training sessions. Now. So I was in with uh, group coaching via Zoom, WhatsApp accountability. We had a group of 10 of us that all went to Amsterdam and I did the, the marathon there. Yeah, I think I think we kind of said, if I, if I could get near four hours, um, that would be amazing. My PB is three hours 33. So it was kind of, we, we used it as a training one towards Africa. But we, I, I tweaked it a little bit going into it. I, wasn't, I was meant to have done some back-to-back runs going in and I decided to taper a little bit more into it and um, I managed to run in three hours 50, which is I was just blown away by, to be honest. And, 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 and enjoyed enjoyed the marathon. It was a lovely, yeah, an amazing event. Just felt like I just smashed it. And then from that, that was basically the launch of my last training block where I then went and ran over 200 kilometers over the following 10 days, um, which was my last training block ready to go into Africa. So did that all really close to the treatment. And oh. yeah, like you say, as in, it's impossible to plan, but what we planned, we executed or I executed and was just amazingly proud to be able to do that and just showed that my mental resilience was as strong as ever, that, that I was in a really good space and just was able to, to continue really. So... 
I know that they're like Volker loves my uh, pop culture references. Um, but have you ever watched Lost, Andy? Lost, yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, with the uh, you know Locke, um, like basically he's a character for people that that watch <laughs> as much TV as me. Basically, like a plane crashes on an island and lots of weird stuff happens. But basically, one of the passengers is in a wheelchair, um, which you find out sort of in a later episode because it's all flashbacks. But I just always remember this one quote where he's in Australia and he wants to go on this outback expedition and he's like got this sort of suitcase of like hunting knives and he's like sat in an estate agent, um, a travel agency. And basically they're like, you're in a wheelchair, you can't come. And he's like, don't you tell me what I can and can't do. And I don't know, I'm just listening to that story. I'm like, nothing sums up that quote. <laughs> so it's like one of my favourite quotes because I'm just like, the power intensity of how he says it. And, you know, I'm just like, yeah, you know, we shouldn't be defined. And yeah, I just, as I say, take my hat off to, to everything you've achieved. Thank you. Let's talk about this 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 African. I mean, I I followed it. If I say live on Instagram, amazing, right? I have a lot of respect for for you finishing it. So congratulations again. So tell tell us all about it because if I say I, I did a couple of marathons, as you know, as, as you know, right? But you know, if, if you if you use a marathon as a training training run, right? <laughs> we, we're talking distance. So fill us in. <laughs> yeah, well, it's um a, a, a multi day um, supported. Uh, ultra event across the desert in Namibia, uh, in the Namib Desert. It's the oldest desert in the world, um, and yeah, I, I did this. Followed on this, this. This follows on. I did do the. I think we spoke about this last time. I, I did the Ice Ultra back in February 2022, which was a very similar event, just obviously in ice rather than on a desert. That was 230 kilometers across the Arctic Circle over five days. This was 250 kilometers over the Namib Desert uh, over five days. So so a back-to-back multi-day event. Um, yeah. And obviously it would be really nice if it was like broken down into 50-50-50 by 550s because that would be a nice spread. But no, they don't want to do that. They want to make it a bit crueler than that. So it was a it was a 51 kilometer on day one, 51 kilometer on day two, uh, 42 kilometers day three, a little half marathon, on day four, which was the class as the easy day, how easy it was not, because it was they set us up at eleven thirty in the middle of the day. So we went through that midday heat. And then we finished with this epic, uh, which they called the grind on day five, which was ninety-two kilometers. And based I'd only ever moved my body for sixty-four kilometers in a day before that, which was on the ice. And in my training, I, I got—I uh, I think I did three 50k runs in my training building up to this. There was a huge amount of unknown about ever. As in, I just couldn't really comprehend moving 92 kilometers in one day after already going 160 kilometers over the previous four. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I completed it just last Saturday. Um, well, early hours of Sunday morning, actually, um, I came across the finish line in the dark and I was broken. I was, yeah, absolutely done. I don't think I could have gone any any further at all, uh, but managed managed to get it done and, yeah, just amazed by what my body has been able to achieve and what my mind has been able to achieve more so because the, it became a huge mental game and... Yeah, and a lot of learning in the process of just how my body reacted in temperatures 
uh, up to 53 degrees centigrade. And it got that, that wasn't just on a one single occurrence basis. I think every day it got to a minimum of about 47, 48, and on three occasions went into the late 50s. Um, and it wasn't just for a short period that it got into those temperatures. It kind of would build and build and build through the day and get to about half 12, and just suddenly it would just go bang and then would be like that for, for a good three to four hours that you were battling in those temperatures. And what it does to your body is just unreal. Fairly scary. Men Up, Men Down is sponsored by Welldoing. It's a great platform for finding a therapist or counsellor. They only accept verified professionals and they make it really easy to find one who is right for you. You can also use their personalised matching service so your availability, budget and needs are expertly matched with just the right person. If you didn't already know, success in therapy is down to making a great match with your counsellor and the people at Welldoing really know how to make that happen. Plus, they have loads of stories, videos and interviews to support your mental health. Take a look at welldoing.org. How, how, how do you physically or mentally cope? I mean, 90 kilometers, did you, you know, I mean, sounds like a silly question for me, but did you did you walk past a bit or do you actually Yeah, climb? as in I... I... It was a real, well, there was a real shock on day one, to be honest. So if I, if I go into a little bit of detail of, of, of what happened, is that we'd obviously, as a group, there was only 28 eight runners. So it was a very small field as well, which that scared me in itself because there was just nowhere to hide. <laughs> there was nowhere to kind of just pretend you weren't there. It was, you were one of those 28. And I had no idea of what, as in it's a race. Did I go into it as a race? Yeah, that's an element of competitiveness in me. But, 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 uh, I said at the beginning, where, yeah, where, when I started it, my gold medal. If I had a, what did my gold medal look like? My gold medal looked like getting over that finish line five days later. How I got there, it really didn't matter. But clearly, I had expectations that the, um, yeah, the, the the actual what we were running on. There was a lot of sand, but there was a lot of compacted tracks as well. That I believed I could run a lot of it, but the reality was, is yeah, within uh, by twenty kilometers on day one. I had a complete and had a breakdown, I would say, because <laughs> the realization was that for the first time in doing any events like this, even from marathons to the ice ultra, that fear of failure seriously kicked in um, and surprised me. And it happened so early um, within it at 20K. I really didn't believe I could even get to the second checkpoint. Um, I, I I didn't know really what was happening to me. My I'd ran the first 14 kilometers fairly hard which was a mistake um, just because of the excitement, the adrenaline, and it was a bit cooler. We started at 7.30 in the morning, went through checkpoint one really quickly. Yeah, it hadn't probably didn't stop there to, 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 to get a bit of energy back. And then that was a 14K. By 6K after that, uh, my body was starting to shut down. Um, and I didn't really understand why. I, did, I just didn't know what was going on. So suddenly I was struggling to put one foot in front of the other. Um, suddenly... I, I was struggling to breathe and, and just this kind of fear of I've got four kilometers to the next checkpoint. Well, four kilometers on a normal run for me would be a, yeah, kind of 20 minutes. Yeah. Suddenly that four kilometers is turning into an hour because I can't, or an hour and a bit because I can't get any pace. And I don't really understand why all I, all I'm thinking in my head is, oh my God, I can't do this. There's just, I just can't, there's just no way I can actually achieve this because I'm not meant to be in these conditions. What was I thinking? I'm, I'm stupid. 
I'm an imposter. All of those things started coming into my head and, and, and it just was very, very scary. But somehow I just kept on moving forward and then got to checkpoint two. By the time I got to checkpoint two, I I remember being so angry and just so upset that, that, that this was it. I wasn't going to continue any further. I literally ripped my backpack, heavy backpack. I was carrying 13 kilos on my back, which was heavy in comparison to other people um, just because I really didn't want to didn't want to cut the food because I have to carry all my food for five days. So in my pack, I've got my sleeping bag. I've got a mat to sleep in. I've got all my food for five days. My survival kit. So I've got all my first aid from syringes to scalpel knives to pyroton, paracetamol, everything. Stuff to deal with blisters um, and all things like that. Uh, whistles. Just loads of kit that I'm carrying. So that, that bag just got thrown on the floor, really angry and literally collapsed onto a yeah I, I managed to sit but just still didn't really know what was going on there's a medic at every checkpoint and the medic was just uh, a girl called Hattie and she was just immense and she just kind of just explained to me immediately you are in first stages of heat stroke you are severely dehydrated and I was just like how can I be in that state we've only been going for yeah a few hours kind of thing or yeah a bit longer four hours and she was like how much have you drank water wise how much salt tablets have you taken on and really the ethos of the company that I went with beyond the ultimate is that it's a, it's a self-sufficient race. They'll tell you what kit to take, but they don't necessarily guide you in huge detail of how to use that kit. Um, we were told to hydrate. We were told to take salt, salt tablets and, and that we needed that, but they didn't tell us how many, how often. It was very much for us to learn how our bodies, and they were very much, everyone is different, so we can't tell you. But... 20 kilometers in i got yeah that rude awakening and realized that the, the, yeah it was just yeah and i just didn't deal with that period very well so i hadn't drank enough water my salt tablets were in the bottom of my rucksack so i didn't because I, I they were like extra i had those hydration tablets to put i created my water so i was just using those but they weren't enough on their own but amazingly water salts lots of water being thrown over my head get my core temperature my core temperature had gone through the roof that was what was kind of going on so that was the heat stroke got that down and within 20 minutes i stood up from that checkpoint a bit out of bit of food as well yeah within 20 minutes i actually got up from that checkpoint and i turned around to them as i left and went i'm amazed i think i can run again so within such a short period of time i was able to get my body back which was then a bit of a positive but by that stage the fear had kicked in and i was just terrified of running resulted in that happening so how could i run i need to to change my complete expectations of this. And suddenly the goal was just literally to get one checkpoint at a time. And that, that's what it became about. Um, it was mad. Like you've touched on a few things there, you know, sort of primarily how, yeah, a four or five K run in, in one set of conditions is completely different. You know, for, for my humble brag, I've, I've done the Amsterdam Marathon a couple of times and and I sort of mentioned it to you. There's just a stretch where you go through an industrial area. There's yeah. nobody around in yeah. terms of supporters. And it, it is just sort of like, a, you know, a lonely part of the race yeah. where, you know, you might start to think some of the things that you were thinking. Yeah. But I'm thinking, so you're, you're doing this where there's no one cheering at the sidelines. No. You know, there's there's literally people there that are there to keep you alive. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that that is essentially what yeah. they're doing. Um but I mean and you say it's a really small field in terms of 
who's com- competing, leaking yep. part, however you want to frame it. I mean, so, you know, were you running with people at times or were you kind of literally just on your own? Yeah, it, it, was, a, it, was, it was a mixture. I don't think any of us really ever sort of said, I'm going to run with you because we didn't know each other's abilities, especially at the start. So it was very much, all, yeah, you, you go out on your own and then find your place within the field. But as in, yeah, I think on the first day, I was on my own pretty much the whole day and I managed to, yeah, just keep on plodding on. It was all about progress. It became progress was key. As long as I was moving forward, it didn't matter what it looked like. Uh, got through the first day. I may, as in another bigger bit of a shock, that just because of the heat, I got blisters by checkpoints free on day one. So I was having, having blisters being treated that early in the race, which was just like, oh my God, if I've got blisters now, what then my feet are going to be like by the end? How am I going to survive that? But got through it, got, got through day one. And I, I was pretty much on my on my own that day. Then day two, yeah, it was just scary, really, because it was just this kind of, how are we going to keep on going? Another 50K second day. But did, and I did tag up with um, um, someone on that day. So so at the end, I kind of came in the last kind of 20 kilometers with someone. Um, so we were, we, you know, if you stopped at a checkpoint long enough, someone would cut you up. Or we went, if you got to a checkpoint, there'd be someone there that if you just wanted to really be with someone, you could have a quick turnaround and kind of stay with them for a bit, which is what I did at times. And definitely after that first day of the the, the, the change of what it looked like, I suppose, for me, that I had to change my expectations around it. Um, I did believe that part of it was connecting with other people as well and sharing my story. So I was very open, very vulnerable. Um, shared about the fact that I'd only had my cancer treatment six weeks before, which kind of everyone was very amazed by. But <laughs> just being vulnerable, but being vulnerable and being being what I believe us men need to be a bit more, which is just showing our emotions and and being. Oh, there was other other guys on the race that that that, that struggled with that, yeah. Um, but in a desert, if if if, if you're ever going to end up in a situation where you're going to break down and you're going to have to 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 be vulnerable. I think everyone had to go there at some point um, because it just it was the the the, the so, so that on itself was such a learning for for, for a number of the people there that, that maybe they hadn't shown those emotions um, to other people before. So it was a great thing in that respect. So were you able to kind of use your sort of coaching experience and your you know your experience of what you've gone through yeah. to then sort of help them? Yeah, I think generally everyone kind of found me a quite a positive influence um, because I, I tried to do that. But at the same time, because of my lack of testosterone, I cried so much. <laughs> it was unreal. Mm-hmm. There was. It was just this, um, these emotions going through me, and I don't think I'd realise how. That's where all the uh, the dehydration. Came. Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the medics did say to me, "How have you still got tears? You can't pee. <laughs> you're crying." <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was. But it was just so emotional because I think I'd put so much, so much on it in the fact of, yeah, that it was just such a big thing. So it was such a big achievement, and maybe I'd suppressed a lot as well over the six, seven months before with everything I'd gone through, and then where it becomes such a mental battle and and the mind is everything that my mind was quite easily broken because there was i just had so many reasons why i should give up it was just, it would have been so easy just to turn around and go guys i didn't i didn't complete it but i i'd only just had my cancer treatment six weeks before so that's okay isn't it so that i always had that that option there to me but i just kept on going you say about goggins on day three i remember the the, the day four Day three to day four, 
Um, it was the short day. So I think we all kind of anticipate in our heads, it was the short day, it was the easy day. It was just going to be a walk in the park, 20, 21K, bang. It was all uphill. We all got to checkpoint one okay. I remember getting towards checkpoint one and actually having a moment in my head going, Andy, you're only 20%. You're only using 20%. Goggins reminds us we are always in that 20%. I have got 80% more to give. Run. Go on, you can run. You're shouting at myself. You're walking. You've got more to give, more to give. And I ran that, that kilometer into checkpoint one, basically just Goggins, Goggins in my head the whole way. And then Not got, a good thing. And, yeah, yeah and, then, and then got through <laughs> checkpoint one and it hit 53 degrees and the whole field were just floored. It just absolutely knocked everyone sideways. And primarily it was because we weren't mentally ready for it because it was the easy day. So all of us just suffered not because it was necessarily harder than the previous day, because we'd gone through that heat the previous day, but it was because we hadn't prepared ourselves for it. We weren't ready for it. And when it hit, we all just fell over like a you know, house of cards kind of thing and dragged ourselves to checkpoint two. But got there and uh, and I'd made a bit of a yeah a friend in a, a lady. It was actually a, a lady called Rihanna who was actually from Namibia. So she was the local one, a local person running it. Oh, she was just awesome. She just turned around and said, come on, we got 3K. I think it was 3K to the finish line. And it's like, come on, we can run this. We can run this. We can run this. And we both ran in the last 3K together that day. And do you know what? That set me up amazingly for the last day because it suddenly made me believe that I could do it um, and change my mindset. So when the alarms went off at 2 a.m. on Saturday morning, last Saturday, with a start at 4 a.m. in the morning, it was going to be cool for the first however many hours. And I just went for it. I, did, I ran 35K on the last day until it got too hot. Then when it got too hot, I was like, okay, I can walk now. But because I'd ran, I'd done so much damage to my feet um, that I actually struggled to be able to walk. So what I couldn't walk, as in walking was just so painful. So I basically took on this kind of shuffle. that was at a walking pace, a fast walking pace, not a run. And I shuffled for the next 65, well, 55 kilometers. Um, all the way to the finish line. So, yeah, amazing, amazing. I was able well, to do it. Yeah. Well done. So, so you're going to do it again? I'm not going to go back <laughs> to the desert, but I am going to go back to Africa. And next September, I'm planning to go to Kenya, where the same company do another event. It's a bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> In the fact that the days are a bit more equal. Um, it's a multi-day event again, five days, it's 230 kilometers, and it's a game, uh, across five game reserves in Kenya. Wow. And it's run you by got the, a tiger chasing you. Yeah, well, it's run by the Rangers, which who look after the, the game reserves in, in Kenya to stop the poachers. And they actually yeah. run it and they line the, the route, and you've got a helicopter, a plane flying over you. They move the obviously the dangerous animals away. It's from dusk till dawn, uh, dawn, dawn till dusk, so you can't run at night because you would get eaten. So as a result of it, it's, it's, it's less kilometers. So I think the longest day on that is 48K, um, and I think it's 37 to 48K. It's basically pretty much a marathon each day. Um, so I'm going to go off to Africa again and do it, do, do that in September next year. So It's, it's going to be a walk in the park, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and more distractions, more distractions with animals. and just, It would just be amazing. But do you know what? The biggest thing that I've taken away from this is, yes, I've achieved this amazing physical achievement, but the connection I've made with those other 27 people that came to the desert, whether they 
whether they didn't finish it, whether they 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 struggled, whether they were at the front of the field, and that they were just unbelievable, unbelievable human beings with just this amazing ability to run in these temperatures. The connection and the lifelong friends I've made as a result of doing this, it's just it's priceless. Yeah, like these events cost quite a lot of money to go and do, but 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 I don't think you can put a price on the experience. And I think I think we talk about this. We live in a very materialistic world, but experiences are what we remember. We don't remember the nice car. We don't necessarily need the big house, but the experiences are what we take on and what we're remembered for, hopefully, um, and the legacy that we leave behind us. And I think this is what, for me, it's very much about, is is about inspiring other people not to run across deserts, to inspire people to get their trainers on and get out three times a week, yeah? And, And maybe by them looking at me going, God, Andy's done that. God, it's raining, it's cold. Get my trainers on. The hardest thing sometimes is just getting out the door. But once you get out there, then then two, three, four, ten k, whatever it might be, happens, doesn't it? And and if I can inspire people to to do that and be healthier and live a better life, then it's just all a win, isn't it? So yeah. Um, I mean, feels like we're getting on to uh, alcohol-free runners a bit more. But um, before we do, how how did your family feel about? You sort of said on social media it's the longest you've been apart from your wife. Um, yeah. I mean, that is tough anyway. Um, mm. you know, being away from your family. Yeah. Um, but also when, you know, you're not you've you've been through your body's been through so much. Yeah. How I mean, how did they feel? And also I mean, did you tell them about sort of day one? you know uh, i mean we were basically in a it was a it was a digital detox um so we had no internet so so i wasn't able to contact anyone for, for the duration of the race so as well as being away from them for 11 days the five days that we were actually or six days because from the moment we, we we headed into the desert we lost um any any kind of mobile reception so for me, as in there were some people with some connection, but but I didn't have anything on my phone, and yeah, so so I couldn't kind of contact them. So so yeah, that was really really hard. As in the, the fact that, especially when I had to change my expectations on day one, and I knew, knew that they would be looking at it, going, "There's something wrong with him. Something's not right. He's not he's not he's not running. He's he's taking a long time at the checkpoints. Why is he still staying at a checkpoint for half an hour?" Why is he not just going through the checkpoints quickly with no information of why? And there was issues also with the satellite tracking as well. So there was there was problems on day one. My coach actually sent me a message to say it looks like you've you've, you've dropped out. That I picked up afterwards. So when I came back into civilization, I picked up this message that she was devastated because she thought I dropped out because the information they were getting as well wasn't clear. So yeah, so from their side, it's really scary, and I and I do understand that. But I think. Do you know what it's a bit like? I think we talk about it with being alcohol-free, isn't there? There's 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 there's, there's positives that we perceive of drinking. The the when we give up drinking, we we kind of yeah we're we're losing a lot. And what are the positives of not drinking? And actually, over time, you you grow to know that there's loads of positives, and actually they start outweighing the reasons to drink. And I think doing things like this is very similar. Yeah, there's 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 pain in the process, pain for my family, pain for me, um, the lack of contact, the fear and everything that surrounds it. But actually the positives that we're all we've all taken from this is just it just it just makes it all worthwhile. So the pain to go through to do it is just worth it so much. And 
And that's from bringing us closer as a family, sharing that experience together. They've been on, they've seen me on my bad days in training where I struggled. They've gone through all the treatment with me. They've gone through bloody hell, fucking really miserable Andy, yeah, at times that that, that can't control his hormones and takes it out on his loved ones, yeah, and all those things. But all that pain and all that difficultness is just eclipsed by the achievement of what I've done. And hopefully they're beginning getting to see that this isn't just about me feeding my ego. This is about me inspiring other people and to to be that lighthouse and just show what's possible. I am a normal guy, whatever you all think, as in whatever I can, you kind of look at the outside. I am just a normal guy. But what I've done differently is that I have been consistent over time and I've trained hard. I've pushed myself hard. I've worked hard on my mental health. I've worked hard on my personal development. And I've got to a point where I can go into and do a desert ultra like this. And I can come out the other side and survive. And I can come out stronger and I can learn more. And it's just being able to share that now. Yeah, is what well, I feel like almost as it sounds awful. Yeah, so it sounds kind of like, so it's like what I was put here to do. Yeah, is to share the story and help others. So yeah, it's. I mean, what, good what I sort of find interesting is, I, I mean, I probably met you or, you know, sort of became aware of you online yep. just after the Ice Ultra. And from what, I might be wrong, but from what I remember, there was like a bit of a dip afterwards and you hid away yeah. almost like, and... Yeah, you. I don't know whether that's because we're interviewing you so fresh yeah. off it, but you don't seem to be in that place. No, I, you know, you're sort of, you know, and and yeah, you know, like you're still sort of. I don't know. You, you seem rejuvenated, whereas last time it was almost like it took everything you had. Yeah. Whereas, and and hearing like going through it. You know, it took everything you had, yeah. but it, it sort of seems like it's given you so much more. Yeah. No. Uh, and it's only with, you know, you talk, talked about the connection, and I know, like, in your coaching with alcohol-free runners, you know, connection is sort of the, you know, the the, the sort yeah. of yeah, yeah. one of the key areas. Um, I mean, well, so, yeah, that's just an observation, but... Um, so tell us a bit more about you know the the alcohol free community running because I I do know that you have been inspiring people. I've not been doing it three times a week, but you know you, you've you've helped me get a bit more back into running. Well, I'd say you know exercise in general. Generally, yeah. Um, so yeah, so tell us a bit more about yeah. Well, alcohol alcohol free runners that we started back in May 2022. So it's still very much in its early days, and clearly with everything I've had going on this year has probably had to be put slightly on the back burners. But what I've been able to do with it is it's a free community. It's always going to be free. I think we've, I've changed my mind on this a few times, but 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 the main community is going to be a free community space. And really, it's for anyone who may not be alcohol-free and maybe a runner, but they're, they're, they, may, they may consider themselves a runner and they're, they're, like, they're curious about, well, will I be an alcohol-free benefit me? Is that something that could enhance my running? So to come into a group and be inspired by other people that are alcohol-free and running, that's obviously one element of it. Or it's the other side of it. You, 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 you've you t- taken the decision to to be alcohol-free. And when, and when we say alcohol-free, this isn't necessarily that you're 
teetotal, that you don't ever drink again, but you've got a self-awareness around your alcohol consumption and that you don't necessarily define yourself as, I am alcohol-free, but you are aware of, of potentially what how alcohol holds you back a little bit and you, you've got a bit of self-awareness around it and maybe you're taking yeah, strategic breaks from it throughout the year and that maybe you're, you're drinking yeah, not on a regular basis, so you've just got an awareness around it. So anyone in that situation as well who is wants to increase their fitness and wants to go, what next? Maybe you've given up alcohol and you've got a bit of a hole in your life as a result of it and you're trying to fill that. Running for, for me is the, 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 yeah, it's, it's the gold kind of stamp of the two things coming together for me is that that is what gives me my superpowers. So it's a space for that it's a space where you can just come in and sit in the background and not even interact with anyone yeah you don't have to be involved in the community you could just sit there and hopefully that it just inspires you a little bit to get out a little bit more often or it's just that you want to come into the community space because you want to see what i'm doing yeah and 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 because it's my space where i share all my runs what's going on with me yeah i'm very vulnerable in that space exactly yeah a bit more detail (laughs) Uh, like for example, for example, like next week, what I'm going to do in the space is I'm going to I, I I did a video diary pretty much throughout the whole of the race. So I've got about an hour and a half of footage of me just talking to the camera from the high bits to the low bits to the really shit bits. And over the next week, I'm going to be sharing that into the community. So I, anyone who's interested in that as well, I mean, I presume this podcast won't come out before that, but um, that, that that's examples of things that go on within the space. And then from that, what we're developing is. Obviously, I provide my own one-to-one coaching services in there. I work with with my coach, Claire McCaskill, who's also within the community space offering one-to-one coaching. And we're in the second year now of providing group coaching towards 10Ks, half marathons and marathons, which is slowly building. We just started a 10K group, just had the Zoom initial Zoom last week, and they're going to be building towards a 10K towards the end of January. So the idea of that is to, to beat off the Christmas kind of pies, and uh, keep moving through that Christmas period where so many of us struggle. So the motivation of group accountability. So there's lots going on. And then from retreats to, to to running weekends and running festivals and all things like that going towards the future. But but at the moment, there's a lot of ideas. Uh, it's all exciting. It's just really, really exciting. I'd really like to get to a point where we're able to offer all-in packages, maybe to go to New York, where we go in and stay in a shared, shared accommodation. So we have that connection together for a weekend where we've trained together for a six week move period. You build that bond with people and then you go and do the goal together um, and, and have that amazing weekend of connection together and being able to offer packages like that is, is, is the kind of dream with it of where I could take it. But at the moment, it's just a wonderful free community of like-minded people that are just trying to inspire each other. And I just get so much out of it. It's wonderful. So you can basically, if you go to the website, which is afrunners.com, and on there, there's a, yeah, all the information and everything there. So you can join the community, um, all fairly easy, and then go from there. And yeah, everyone who's kind of like what I just described can, uh, are welcome to come into the community. Amazing. So if you're for New York Marathon package, let me know. Yes. I'm okay. Still on my bucket list. Yeah. Well, New York is the only one I would still do. No. It's my old age, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely not going to do Namibia, I don't think, but a lot of respect, Andy. Well done. Yeah, thank well you. Well done. All of it. Not, not only the run, right? Also, if you see the, the whole mental power going through radiotherapy and everything and, you know, and just continuing doing the run and, yeah, and setting up the group as well. Yeah. Amazing. Just a couple of other points, Paul. Now, it's just 
I've done this as well. I, I've got a place for the London Marathon next year and I'm going to be running it for Prostate Cancer UK. So I've already started fundraising for that through obviously the Desert Ultra. And so I've got a Just Giving page. If you just look up Andy Delderfield on the Just Giving page, I think, yeah, you can go there. So so just 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 trying to do that as well, just to, just to raise awareness around that whole prostate cancer bit piece, really. It's, uh, yeah, take control of your health, guys. It's just really, really important. And it's something you can do something about. It's really scary, but you'd much prefer to, to be in a situation where you're in control of it rather than it being in control of you. So, uh, yeah. And, and we put all that in the show notes as well. Um, so anyone who wants to donate and should donate. So um, I, I should donate. So uh, <laughs> once I have to Thank you. But no, I mean, you know, that's, it's it's a good cause, and you know I I just recently um you know without naming people here uh, you know I, I hear prostate cancer cancer more often you know I guess we we getting to that age now right so let's let's fight it together yes definitely well you know that's what this podcast is about is you know getting men to talk about the things that we don't talk about and. Yeah, you know, just raise awareness on so many of these issues that we can. But yeah, I mean, we've we've come to the end of the podcast of this episode. I'm sure, uh, you know, maybe you'll be the, the the person to come on three times, Andy. I mean, I just want to sort of say, yeah, Andy, you are a huge inspiration. And on a personal note, you know, it's been a very tough year for me, and Andy has been there to help me um i've got to stop crying at the end of these podcasts but anyway <laughs> thanks very much andy um for everything uh congratulations and um yeah we're uh well we'll have to hook up either in london or amsterdam or new york wherever thanks very much well thank you thanks for listening to this week's episode Feel free to reach out to Volker or David via our website, www.manupdown.com or podcast at manupdown.com with any feedback or to let us know what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Hear you again soon.